Spencer, hadn't you? And uh, you nearly got stranded somewhere, didn't you? <laughs> I had a week away a couple of weeks ago where I literally decided I was not going to take my laptop. I wasn't going to do work. I was just going to have time in a nice warm place. So I went to Cape Verde and it was beautiful. And I was there for a week and then it was that storm Kiara and I couldn't get home. So it's such a hard life being stranded on a desert island. Where is Cape Verde? It's off the African coast. South Africa. Their whole motto is don't stress. So we were like, we don't know how we're getting home. They're like, don't stress, don't stress. We don't get contravirus here, don't stress. <laughs> All this stuff, it was just hilarious. Might have been the safest place in the world, who knows? <laughs> who knows? So, yeah, Emma, thank you for coming. And uh, it's great that you've agreed to come along and share your story with us. But before you do share your story, I thought it would be good for you to... Just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're involved in now. So could you paint us a bit of a picture of what life looks like now for Emma? Yeah, well, I work for the local charity FaithWorks. And FaithWorks, if you don't know, it helps people that are isolated and lonely around Bournemouth, um, sort of Paul, Christchurch areas. And they oversee Sleep Safe, which I know that you're involved with. Um, so we work with the homeless, um, lone parents, people in financial crisis, uh, People, you know, just basically people that are lost and broken. And I was their operations manager for the past four and a half years, up until a year ago. And it, I really felt God calling me to set up a project around addiction because so many people come into our, you know, our charity and they get free of debt or off the streets or, you know, families restored and things. But actually, there's a, a lot of people that struggle with addiction and that's obviously one of the things that brings people back to their crisis point. So I've been doing that for the last year. Um, I'm a trustee with the recovery course, which is a course nationally that helps people um, with addictions. I get the privilege of setting that up. And with that, I've, I've recently done um, like a television series for the Christian channel TBN. Um, and this baffles me. I mean, you'll hear in my story later that this is not something I imagined ever doing. Um, and um, I'm actually in the process of setting up a national charity that coordinates addiction work because there's so much good stuff going on. But actually, you know, I believe that we as a church have an amazing, you know, gap to step into now um, because there's such brokenness and such visible brokenness um, when you look at, you know, young people especially being programmed to be addictive. And it's, you know, it's, it's a huge epidemic that we're facing. And I, it's quite exciting, though, as a church to be able to, look at a way to tackle that so that's kind of what i'm up to at the moment brilliant not much quite busy then eh? <laughs> quite anybody else feel lazy listening to emma talk about what she's doing no just me okay need, need to do more emma going back to the recovery course emma i know um the recovery course is growing uh, not, not just locally but nationally as well can you tell us how somebody would uh, get involved helping or get in being part of the recovery course the beautiful thing with the recovery course is it's for all addictions and habits. So I, and I share this story a lot. When I went to see the course running up in London about five and a half, six years ago, um, I got put in a little women's group because you have women and men in the same building. It's very similar to sort of alpha model and, you know, you eat together, you, you, you hear a testimony or a talk and then you do some group work. Um, and I got put in this little women's group and I shared this when I was here last time, but there was this one little old lady in the group and all other women my age. And we went around the group asking what people's addictions and habits were. And most people said drugs and alcohol, whereas this little lady, I thought she was just someone's gran that come along to support her daughter. 
And she, she said, oh, Emma, I've got this habit. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, well, it's the first thing I do in the morning, first thing I do in the evening, I spend all my money on it. Um, you know, my husband of 50 years of marriage wants to divorce me because of it. And by this point, I was out of my seat, like, what is it? And she said that she was addicted to cross-stitch. And, you know, I laughed because I was like, that's something my nan does, you know, or did. Um, and, but then I realized that the pain in this woman's face, you know, being so, it wasn't about what the substance or the habit was. It was about what it did to her. Um, so that's the beautiful thing about this course. It's for so many people um, with, with habits and addiction. So we, a lot of the people that get involved have had that experience and have come through it. Um, and, but you can also get involved if you haven't. So we run courses around the place where, you know, we need a catering team, we need a prayer team. We basically just need people that want to help and have that heart. Um, beautiful things are happening. We've run it. Um, Bournemouth is the first area where we adopted a different model, where we actually get recovery, people that are interested in running recovery courses and churches, and we run it in the YMCA, but we get people together and we talk about how can this course not just be like a one-hit wonder, you know, it's just like, how can it actually carry on? So what we do is we, when one course ends, like at Winter Methodist recently, Winton Salvation Army started it the week after. So we've actually got a plan now up until May of 2021 where there's a course Love running. Winton. Yeah, Winton, honestly, there's something very special going on within Winton it's at the heaven. moment. Something rising up, I do believe. Got a Greg's. But we, <laughs> I, can I share one little story? Sorry, I can, it's funny because 11 years ago I couldn't even be in a room with more than two people. So, you know, you can't shut me up now. Um, but, Something amazing happened over at Winton Methodist, and the great thing was that five churches came together to run this last course, um, yourselves being one that donated, you know, but I know that there's people within this church that got involved as well, and it, we had five churches running it out of a church that didn't have the manpower to do it, and it was beautiful, um, and there's me, you know, thinking that we're just there to help the people with addiction. It's such a bigger picture because the team that got involved in that, Winter Methodist Church provided, I think it was about eight, um, eight people, all, you know, very mature people in terms of age. Um, and there was a team of them and they basically did the tea and coffee and helped to t clear away the plates and things. And the, the fear before we started this course of welcoming it into their church, um, and you could see it. But as the weeks went on, I, mean, I remember walking past this men's group and there was this little lady, Pat, who has been within the Methodist church all her life, married to a Methodist minister for 50 years. And she carries her own little teacup around as well, you know, just beautiful little lady. And I walked past this group and I, I had to take a second look because she, she actually was in the middle of this group with one of our probably most, one of the more challenging characters and she was just sitting there, listening to his story, drinking a cup of tea, just so intent and safe and happy. And as the weeks went on, you saw this group of people just come alive. They started talking more and more to the, the folk that were coming into this course. And at the end, she did a testimony. And she said in all her 50 years of being married within you know, the Methodist church to a Methodist minister and everything, she'd never experienced that love of looking after those people on the fringes and welcoming them into her church. I wept. It was like, this has changed that whole church's perception because they now believe they can do it. Yeah. And that's the bigger picture of just helping to equip people. It is stunning what is going on in this area. Isn't that good? Um, so just go, going back to the, you mentioned, um, we're almost conditioned now to be addicted. 
in one way or the other, we've all got habits. Mine's sausage rolls. And I'm confessing to you now, I love a sausage roll. I know, yeah, (laughs) most people do know. And there's some people that feed that addiction, yes, yes. But uh, in all all seriousness, um, addiction's a massive thing, and sometimes it's a sneaky thing. Sometimes people are not even aware of what they're going. But what would you say, Emma, to someone that is perhaps kind of realising that things are getting a little bit uh, too much for them, or they're... You know, they're, they're, in the, they're in the middle of a bit of a mess right now that they don't feel that they can kind of pull themselves out of. What, what kind of, I know it's a big question, uh, but what kind of advice would you, would you give to them? Well, I think, like you say, addiction is so varied. I think we would be really naive to think that one approach works best for every individual. Yeah. Um, that's why within FaithWorks we've started up one-to-one appointments. We've started up really a lot of community work that's not just the recovery course we're trying to do activities that are fun it's about just getting around people that are walking this journey and that you can say actually I'd like to maybe be free of my habit or addiction just as they have and then it's about journeying together it's you know I'd love to be one of these people that walked into a church and boom addiction is gone but it's for some people it is that ongoing journey and I'd say just get in touch I've got some details where anybody that this is during today it rises anything up in them or if you know somebody affected by addiction we also offer support to those family friends colleagues that support people um, it's about taking that first step which is really scary sometimes you know because addiction isolates us so to suddenly go to someone and say hey i've got a problem yeah. is hard but actually you know i see that saving people's lives every day not the stuff we do but their courage yeah. to say you know i i don't understand this but i'm not happy with something and and there is freedom i promise you that yeah yes i think we've got to share those things haven't we not not just addiction but those other things as well i think only recently when you look at the things that are going on in the news and you know uh, caroline flack bless her handling quite a lot of stuff in the quiet there's something powerful about sharing our lives with each other isn't there there's something powerful about community um okay emma this is the the most serious question of the morning Um, And before we go any further, we need to know this question answered, okay? Six Nations, England or Wales? Wales. Thank you, Emma. (laughs) I used to, I'll tell you my story later, remind me to tell you about Wales, but yeah, they didn't do very well yesterday. (laughs) They did okay. Why don't you give Emma a round of applause? you for having me back i did come to one of your evening services last year and um i was thinking it's funny how suddenly i could think oh i'm going to bore everybody that was there and and everything but then you know god was really good as i came in and i saw people i didn't know and i'm like that's okay and my story changes day by day actually you know so it's um it's quite nice because he's really put on my heart the importance of what we do here on this earth even though we know that we have salvation by being christians it's actually what we can do here that makes a difference not just in our lives but in the lives of people around us and 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 i've really felt god's restoration in my life recently um in ways that i never ever imagined that would happen so i will share a little bit about my story and a bit a little bit more of what's actually happened more recently that only god could do uh, which is which is brilliant i I love, and I'm not going to go through the whole um, uh, 
Isaiah 61 really is my my motto, my banner. Um, it's quite small, but the the bit that stands out for me at the moment, I just love that that verse to the point where, and I know it might offend some, but I got a little tattoo on my finger so that I can see it because it reminds me of where I've come from, but also what I believe God has um, for me to do. And I believe that we all have a purpose, but we all have a mission. Um, and that for me is is becoming very clear. And I think, though, if God had told me 11 years ago that I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I probably would have run a mile. I'd have been, I can't do this. I'm not equipped. I'm not, I'm not good enough. There's no way. Um, and bit by bit, by just being with him, he's opened up things and given me the courage. Uh, I mentioned earlier that 11 years ago I couldn't um, be in a room with more than two people. Well, well God, at that point, I, I wanted to die. I wanted to give up. Um, it was really for me that when it says in that verse about beauty from ashes, you know, my life was in tatters. It was meaningless. I didn't want, well, I wanted to live, but I didn't know how to live anymore. And the easier option for me would have been to give up. So the ashes part of that was exactly where I was at. And I believe that he's restored my life to its full beauty. But there is still more to come. And so that, that verse is really important for me. And it's funny because everywhere I go, if people are praying or if I'm asked to base something on a verse, the people always give me that verse. So, you know, God is at work in that for me. I'll show you a picture of where I was 11 years ago and where I am today. That was me 11 years ago. And I I literally, they've, they've used this story in a lot of media and stuff because... I was a different person, you know, and I know it's not all about looks, but actually the outward was all I knew because I was dead inside. So I show you that picture because God has really changed my whole life, not just from the outside, but from the inside out. And, you know, he's been so faithful. I, I, I have to see that to remind myself of how bad things got. And I'll just tell you a little about, you know, the journey that I that got, you know, I've been on to get to that point 11 years ago where I wanted to die. I mean, I haven't got time, you know, to really go through everything, but I, I fell into the trap of addiction at a very young age. Um, by the age of 11, I was messing around with food, uh, restricting it, and, you know, ended up on a road of all the eating disorders you can imagine. Um, anorexia, bulimia, overeating, exercise into that, you know, and it just... It was a dark place, a really dark place. And then I found alcohol at the age of 13, as do many young people these days, sadly. You know, the, the ages are getting younger. The average age of having a first, you know, social drink, social, is the age of 11 now, you know. Um, but people often drink way before that as well. And I found alcohol at 13. And it was, I even from day one, I used to drink more than most but I didn't see it as a problem because a lot of other people were doing it. And it's all this thing about conforming to the patterns of this world. We're living in a world where everything is so accessible, not just alcohol, drugs, but, you know, I mentioned earlier about social media. Facebook was made to be addictive. We're programming young people to be born into addiction. And it is an epidemic. But at that young age, I just, I just was off and running with it. And I was... But before I knew it, drinking more than most. But it was disguised by the crowd. And when people used to ask me, why did I drink like I did? I, it was, this was my little line that usually shut people up. Was, well, you'd drink if you had the parents I did. I was always blaming everybody and not taking responsibility. 
I, my dad, who left when I was 15 months old, he ran off of his secretary, but he was one of the managing directors for Guinness. And I ironically, you know, end up with alcohol problems. And my mum is, well, she's not now, she's retired, but she's a pharmacist. So I said, you know, no wonder I was an alcoholic and my brother a drug addict, if you had the parents with those professions. And I used to just blame everything, even to the point where my drinking escalated. I still managed to do well at school. I, and this is where the bit about Wales comes in. I went to Wales, where my family actually originally from. So you know, that's why I support Wales at rugby. And I, <laughs> but I, I was at Cardiff Uni and I used to go out drinking with the Welsh rugby team. And I remember one day, even the Welsh rugby captain, it was Chris Wyatt who was like up here. And he said to me one day, Emma, don't you think you drink too much? And coming from these lads that, you know, they were drinking copious amounts of, you know, beer every night. I, to most people, you'd probably take stock and think, actually, I might have a problem. I thought it was the best compliment ever. And I was just off and running. But I, at university, I disguised my drinking with every sport going. So I liked rugby, I liked cricket, I liked hockey, I liked everything in order to have different drinking friends. But I didn't know I had a problem. Life was busy, but I didn't know why I was doing it. You've, it's very easy to fall into addiction and destructive habits without even... I've never met anybody that said... Well, woke up one day and said, yes, I'm going to become an addict today or I'm, you know, I'm going to have a destructive habit in my life. It's gradual. And before I knew it, I was in it. And it's very hard to get out. And to cut a long story short, it escalated to the point where I, I'd finished university, I'd, I'd moved abroad, but then came back and alcohol became my best friend. It became everything. Uh, my relationship with God had gone out the window. I'd been brought up in a Christian home, and I'd, the more addiction is close, and I notice this with other people that I work with, it's almost like God hasn't gone anywhere, but with addiction, it pushes God to the back. And that was my experience. So I basically just sort of like just ended up one day so broken. There was many war stories, many I lost my driving license through drink driving, I, I hurt a lot of people. I, I hurt myself, and that's something I didn't realize how much I'd hurt myself, but my family and everyone around me. And I ended up in a treatment center, um, and at my worst, which is when that picture was taken, was the day that I went in there, and I was drinking about two liters of vodka a day. I just wanted to die. I wanted to give up. I'm so you know blessed that I hadn't caused any further damage to myself. I did later, a few years later, realize I had cancer. Uh, whether that's contributed to the alcohol, I don't know. But I got through that. I got into recovery anyway. And thankfully, it was a 12-step treatment center. And in the 12 steps originated from Alcoholics Anonymous, that all comes out of the Bible. So they're talking about a higher power. I knew who my higher power was. I knew it was God. I knew Christ was you know, the king in my life, but he was just so far away. And over the last 11 years, it's been a real gradual process of getting to know him again and actually finding that he forgives me for the things I've done because I hurt a lot of people and actually going to him and and finding forgiveness. And I'll, this is different. I mean, I've never shared it because it's so recent. This is like, you know, I can, I'm, I'm, I've got used to kind of talking about my story, but my story's changed. And we all, God can just rewrite our story in a split second. And that's what I'm seeing. I used to be able to, I used to hear people say that and I could see my life and my journey, but I, more and more I get to feel it and see it because things happen. 
You know, all I ever dreamed of was putting down alcohol. You know, and bit by bit, he's revealed more and more. Now I'm dreaming of helping to change a culture around addiction. But actually, for me, it, it comes down to who my identity is. And I realized there was quite a blockage in that. And I, it's funny because I was at a leaders conference yesterday and they were talking about releasing blockages, whether that be a big obvious blockage like addiction or if it's something deep-rooted inside. That, and for me, I realized that there was an element of unforgiveness that I was carrying and that then has an impact on everything else that I do. And I realized I hadn't forgiven my dad for walking out on me when I was 15 months old. I mean, I was a baby, you know. I, I didn't have any control over that. But I needed to forgive him. And I've done work on, on that, you know, prayed about it. But I'm quite a vis you know, visual person. And I believe that we have to, you know, for me, I needed to work with what's, what's going on. And, and I, one of... My prayer team on the recovery course before Christmas came up to me and said, Emma, I feel really bad because I haven't told you something that I felt four or five years ago when I met you, that there's somebody in your life that you haven't forgiven, but I feel like I need to tell you that now. And I was like, oh, that hit me hard because I'd also been praying about my father. And 10 years ago, I did track him down in Ireland. He was in Ireland. And I did speak to him on the phone, but then he... He basically said he's got his family, he doesn't want me in his life. And that, that hurt at the time. But I realized that everything happens in God's time. You know, with, for me, with addiction and my nature, I, I often am very all or nothing. But I know when God is so in, in, in a situation because I lose that, that nature that I have and the peace that then fills what would normally be. I see some people smiling, so maybe you get where I'm at. Um, and... It kind of, you know, for me, it was like, actually, it wasn't the right time 10 years ago to find him and meet him. And I was going to Ireland before Christmas. And I've, it's funny, I've traveled all over the world, never gone to Ireland. It's just such a British thing, isn't it? And um, I, I basically went over to Ireland, hired a car and drove from Dublin to the west coast of Ireland and turned up on the doorstep of this house. Um, my dad didn't know I was coming. And there's a bit in the amends process of the 12 steps where, you know, you, you do things not to harm others. But I prayed about it and I was filled with a real peace that this was the right thing to do. Um, and I've got a picture of, and it's the only picture, it was funny because on the left, you can't really see it, but I walked up to this house and on the doorbell was my surname. And that hit me because, you know, I felt God saying, I know your name, I've got you, it's okay. And it gave me, in the midst of something that was really chaotic, it gave me this real peace. And I did the doorbell, and that's my father, who I've not seen since I was 15 months old. And he welcomed me in. It was awkward, of course, you know. And, and I, But you know what? I just stood there, and I didn't know what I was going to say. And I just looked at him and said, I just know that I need to forgive you, and that's why I've come here with no other agenda and I, we've had a few text messages and one phone call since, but I feel freer now. The, the blockages, and I think it's really important, um, you know, and only in my recovery walk was I ready at this point to do that. So, you know, I think there's something incredibly important about family and identity because I've grown up not having any idea of what a dad is, not a good dad, not a bad dad. So when it came to my relationship with God, I'm only trying to... I, I learn a lot from other people, but I, I, there was a blockage there. And actually, since then, and doing some deep inner healing around this, I feel like a different person. 
you know, I'll be honest, it's quite emotional because I've never, I haven't actually spoken about this, even with my mum, because it's so close to home for her. So I'm sharing this with you, and I felt it was just really important to do that today when I was praying about what to talk about. Um, and I hope it's helped somebody. And, and, you know, my mother, and there's a, I've got a slide. She's been amazing. You know, she saved my life a million times. But I, and I share this story because in recovery, I had the privilege of doing CPR on her. And if I hadn't have been sober, I was six weeks sober at the time. And she had a cardiac arrest in front of me here in Boscombe in my old flat. And, um, and she literally just was on the floor. And from that, something amazing has happened because not only is she alive to tell the tale, but in, in the moment where the paramedics arrived, they were fantastic, Bournemouth Hospital, eight minutes it took for them to get from there to there. And they just took over and did their stuff. And I had to stand back and I was completely powerless. And we talk about powerlessness in, in recovery a lot. And I literally had to stand back and just see them working on my mother. And, and they were shocking her heart. And it got to about six or seven times. And there's this look that paramedics must get taught in paramedic school, medical school, sorry. There's not paramedic school, is there? I don't know. Um, and they did this look because they were going to stop um, working on her. And this peace just fell as I was praying in that moment. And in this most chaotic moment of my whole life, I was able to look at the paramedic that was holding the paddles and say, you know, please, can you try one more time? And I felt the presence of Jesus in that room in a way that I've never experienced or maybe I've not been ready to experience. And, and he was there. And, and they shocked her heart one more time and her heart started. And she's alive to tell the tale. It's just, you know, and I've got my mum back. And not only that, he doesn't stop there. God doesn't just save someone's life and bring them back from the dead. He does even more than that. This is the beautiful God that we worship. He helped her to build up strength to be able to write a, a support program that runs alongside the recovery course now and is rippling out into places around the country, helping people affected by addiction. You know, and every day we get people contact us that are affected because it's, you know, by addiction because it's not just the person with the addiction that, that gets the problem. It's all those around them. So she gets to see that. You know, her health's not amazing, but she's alive to tell the tale. Um, and he had a much bigger plan in that moment. You know, and I, I share that because he's done amazing things that I never imagined. And the Red Cross got hold of that, and we became like the mum and daughter little film for the year. And I said I'd only do it, though, if I was able to share about what happened with God and Jesus in the room that day. And I've been able to talk to people that would never normally hear the gospel or, or hear about God through different ways, you know. And that's what I, I'm so passionate about now. I love what's happening, like right here, right now, within a church context. But I believe our commission is to go out there and share it with people through our own stories, through our own experience. You know, you've got no greater story than your own. Um, to be able to go and explain to people, why do you believe what you believe? I can't not believe what I believe now because I see miracles. I see people saved. I get the privilege of working with people like Charlie and, you know, in my job. And we get to actually see people come back to life and be restored. But it's a, it, there's reasons that people get to that point of brokenness. And, and it's very easy to put a sticky plaster over addiction or over homelessness. or And I don't mean that in a flippant way, but the easy part is to get somebody in some ways free physically of addiction or, you know, it's not nice, but or, or someone on the street to give them a house. But actually, how do we support them 
to live well, to actually flourish. And that's, that's where my heart is. And all it takes is, someone said the other day, a smile made all the difference. You know, I think of what's happened with those older folk in Winter Methodist Church. And that, that's been like such a wow, looking at the bigger picture of journeying with people. And I know that this church, from knowing Liam and from being here before, I know that happens here. Um, and I think my only encouragement, and I didn't know what I was going to say, was to, to work on, I've had to work on myself in order to be able to help others. And even recently, finding that extra level of forgiveness was so key in opening up even more channels to be able to bless other people. And I just really encourage, like we said before, to to open up if there's anything. It doesn't have to be addiction or habits like I've spoke today about, but goodness, it could be anything. If it pains you, share it. You know, a problem shared is a problem halved. It really is. And that's what we see. And I see people just journeying with people. Um, and God then will, you know, step in and journey with those folk too. Um, I think that's where I'm going to leave it today, if that's okay. Thank you.